Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope that this sermon will guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org for more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thanks be to God indeed, and thanks be to God for Pastor Adam reading all of those names. Let us pray. (laughs) Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning once again. I am Pastor Corey, the associate minister here at Orange And it is a joy to be with you. We continue our sermon series this morning, Lead with Heart, as we follow the life of King David, exploring all the ways that King David embodied a life that God desires us to live. I was recently scrolling through podcasts on my phone and thinking through what what should I listen to, I was struggling, and I was looking at episodes of Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History one I often enjoy, and a title popped out entitled Paul of Damascus. And of course, I was intrigued, so I decided to give it a listen. Now, the episode actually had very little to do with Paul of Damascus and instead focused on the story of a man who showed up one day at a U.S. embassy claiming to have been a foreign terrorist who committed crimes against Americans. And he showed up because he wanted to clear his conscience. He wanted to come clean. He didn't want money. He didn't want power. All he wanted was to be absolved. He wanted forgiveness. Now, you may already be making assessments about who does and doesn't deserve forgiveness and what forgiveness might look like in this circumstance, but Gladwell, the narrator, encourages the listener not to pick sides. Just listen. And eventually, and unfortunately, information about this man coming clean is leaked to the public through the press, and he's punished by his own country as a traitor. Before he is punished, he is told that the information will be leaked and he's devastated. The forgiveness he was promised isn't delivered. In this story, it seemed like there wasn't anything this man could have done to right his wrong. And Gladwell turns toward the story that shapes so much of our Western culture and so much of our lives as followers of Jesus. It's the story of a man named Saul, a pursuant murderer of Christians who was struck blind on the road to Damascus by Jesus himself. And in this moment, his life is transformed. Saul becomes Paul, who becomes the greatest missionary and evangelist of the Christian movement. This one whose reign of terror was known among all the Christians becomes their champion. Let that sink in. 
our belief, our great hope as Christians is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, our God can transform us into people who seek God's desire above our own selfish desires. That's the basis of our faith, that the things we have done can be forgiven, that we can be redeemed. And Gladwell poses some questions. If we really believe this, what does that mean for our cancel culture? Which means once someone has behaved in a way that we've deemed beyond redemption, too grievous to be forgiven, when we've decided that, we write them off, we cancel them. It's so tempting. It's so punishing. It's final. But I'll be bold in saying that believing someone is beyond redemption and repentance does not reflect the gospel that I have read or that I have come to stake my very life on. If Paul's identity was defined by the worst thing he did, he would never have been able to convince the apostles and the elders to let him leave. There's a real chance we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here praying that God would reveal a word to us, a word to transform us and change us. Forgiveness, God's forgiveness, that is what sets us apart from the world. I believe that. I believe that the worst part of who we are, the most sinful part of who we are, doesn't define us. Rather, the identity that we are given as God's imperfect yet beloved children, that's what gives us worth. That's what gives us worth on our best day, and that's what gives us worth on our worst day. And here in 2 Samuel, we discover that David, King David, even in his flawed and broken humanity, reflects God's own heart by extending forgiveness to the descendants of King Saul and Jonathan. Despite the pain and the ways that specifically King Saul wronged King David, hurt David, tormented David. I mean, King Saul truly terrorized David. He hunted him. He tried on multiple occasions to kill him. From a worldly view, we could easily assess that King Saul got what was coming to him. His punishment was a long time coming, and likewise, his descendants and his followers should just accept whatever fate trickles down to them as a result of Saul's actions. Good riddance. Honestly, we might in our anger and vengeance believe that Saul got off easy being mercifully killed by one of his own men before the enemy could actually approach. King David could have so easily celebrated the demise of his nemesis, and many of us would have joined him in that celebration. This man who wanted him dead is gone. Finally, David can rest easy knowing that Saul is no more. And yet in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, we read 
a song of David. And it's not a song of celebration. It's a song of lament. A lament over these men. He writes, women of Israel, weep for Saul. He dressed you in finest cottons and silks, spared no expense in making you elegant. Oh, dear brother Jonathan, I'm crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle worker, love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hoped to know. David wasn't perfect. He wasn't. We know this. We've explored this in 2 Samuel will be full of moments where David fails to live up to God's hope for his life. His moral failings will have unimaginable tragedies follow him. But here, chapter 9, David surprises us. David reveals his heart for God when he chooses not to celebrate not to self-righteously declare a victory for himself, but instead, David chooses a different way. He chooses forgiveness. He chooses compassion towards Saul and Jonathan, and he chooses forgiveness not because it serves himself, but because it serves the God David serves. He chooses forgiveness because it reflects God's love and God's purposes. David's heart had every reason to be hardened toward King Saul and Jonathan, but it wasn't. That's a miracle. That's a surprise. That's a plot twist. That's what moves us in this story. We expect David to harbor ill will toward these men, especially Saul. But David has a heart that allows him to see the complexity and the belovedness of these two enemies. Our human nature craves fairness in life, but God's grace and God's love throw fairness out the window. They do. I just this week watched the 2019 documentary, Emmanuel which tells the story of the Mother Emanuel AME church shootings that occurred in 2015, in which nine people, Clementa Pickney, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, DePayne Middleton Doctor, Taiwanza Sanders, Daniel Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, and Myra Thompson were all brutally murdered. These nine people gathered for a Bible study and welcomed a stranger into their midst and in response lost their very lives. And this documentary tells their story. Highly recommend if you have an opportunity to watch it. What is remarkable about their story is that this community who lost so much and was wounded so deeply chose a different way. They chose to follow the heart of God in extending forgiveness to the person who took so much away from them. They chose to honor God by recognizing that forgiveness is the difficult path that we take as disciples of Jesus Christ. 
the difficult path that leads Jesus to a cross, a gruesome death, where pain and grief and hurt and unfairness scream out, and instead of screaming out in anger and hatred and revenge, Jesus says those words that should shape every part of who we are as members of Christ's body. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just 48 hours after losing their loved ones during the bond hearing for the perpetrator, in an unprecedented moment, the judge invited the families of the victims to speak. The families did not know they would have this opportunity, and they didn't know what they would say. But the family of Ethel Lance said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again, never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Anthony Thompson, who lost his wife, said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take the opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change you. Change your ways no matter what happens to you. You'll be okay and you'll be better off than you are right now. Felicia Sanders was at the Bible study. She lost her son, Taiwanza. She said, we welcomed you into our Bible study on Wednesday night with open arms. You have taken some of the most beautifulest people I know. Taiwanza was my hero. But as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. And as they reflected on their words in the documentary, they said, those weren't my words. They were God's. Something came over me and I knew I didn't want to live with hatred in my heart. I didn't want to live with hatred in my heart. That's the power of the gospel. And the gospel isn't an easy message. It's violent. It's painful. It requires something of us. But it is life-giving. It is life-renewing. And even in the film, those being interviewed said that some folks weren't very happy that they were so quick to forgive. And even some were mad and angry that they were so quick to forgive. I can understand that. I can feel that. And other members of those families said that they're still working to get there to that point of forgiveness. But I think we get so confused sometimes about what Jesus says about forgiveness and what Jesus doesn't say and why it matters and why it matters to us today. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who has done an incredible amount of work around forgiveness especially in light of the end of apartheid in South Africa, he says that theologically what forgiveness requires of us is that we abandon 
We let go of our right to enact vengeance, to have revenge. And in doing that, in letting go of that revenge, we give the other person an opportunity to make a new beginning. This happens in the story of David. As an act of forgiveness, David invites Jonathan's son to dine at his table. And David goes beyond that to give Jonathan's son all that belonged to King Saul. David gives him a new beginning. Forgiveness is scary because of what it might require of us. The Reverend Jan Richardson says that when we talk about forgiveness, we get stuck because of what we think it means. That forgiveness might mean overlooking or excusing harm that's been done to us and saying that everything's okay. Or that forgiveness means allowing those who have hurt us to persist in their behavior. Or maybe that forgiveness requires forgetting about what happened. Or forgiveness is something that we do at will and always all at once. But she reflects that this isn't what scripture tells us and that really the heart of forgiveness isn't found in excusing harm or allowing it to go unchecked. It's to be found rather in choosing to say that although our wounds will change us and they will, we will not allow them to forever define us. Forgiveness does not ask us to forget the wrong done to us, but instead to resist the ways that it seeks to get its poisonous hooks in us. Forgiveness asks us to acknowledge and reckon with the damage so that we will not live forever in its grips. So that we will not live forever in the grips of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. That grip is a prison. There's no freedom in it. But the gospel is a story of freedom, a love that sets us free, a love that is so persistent and determined that it leaves no room in our hearts for hatred and anger. David had every reason to hate King Saul, every reason to be angry, every reason to enact even more revenge upon their descendants and their followers. But he had only one reason to show love, to show grace, to extend mercy and forgiveness. And that reason was the love of God in his own life. The love of God that could have so easily chosen to reject David for his flawed and sinful nature. The love of God that could have chosen to judge David on the worst decisions of his own life. But instead, it is and was a love, a fierce love of God. An unconditional love that will go to any lengths to tell us that we are not beyond redemption, that we are worth saving, that we are never, ever canceled, even when the world said otherwise. One of the interviewees in the film, which is so perfectly named, Emmanuel, God with he says that acts of forgiveness demonstrate great courage. It's the greatest act of love and the greatest act of release one could ever experience because forgiveness 
frees us from that burden of hatred and anger. So today, I want to ask, what burdens of hatred and anger do we need to be released from? And who do we need to release? What do we need to be forgiven of? And who do we need to forgive? Church, may we lead lives of forgiveness. May we forgive others as God has forgiven us. May we be courageous. Let us pray. Loving God, we take this time today to come before you. But as we do, we are aware that all is not right within us. We neglect your word. We fail to meditate on your law. We forget to speak with you. We make plans without turning to you. We do things that we know are wrong. We did not put you first in our lives. Forgive how we have failed to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Loving God, our relationships with each other are not all that they can be or should be. There's hurt and injury between ourselves and others. There are walls of anger and hatred between us and our neighbors. Forgive us for how we deny our part in this and for how we blame others for the brokenness around us. Forgive how we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Gracious God, we believe that you offer to us in our world a whole and good life. For all that we have done to deny this life to each other and to ourselves, we ask your forgiveness and your mercy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as you choose again this day to love God and to love one another, know that God has forgiven you that which is past and offers to you a new and full life. Hear the good news concerning the love and forgiveness of God. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he knows that we are dust. You are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online once again at orangemethodist.org. Thank you.